today we are starting a brand new series called The Bible, A Unified Story Leading to Jesus. And I, I stole that line, so I have to quote where I stole it from. Uh, the Bible Project, if you're familiar with them at all, uh, I highly, highly recommend The Bible Project. Um, and and uh, stole this picture off of a Christianity Today uh, article as well. It's a pretty cool picture. I didn't make that. Um, but it was an article I believe they did about the Bible Project. That's how I found it. Um, and and we'll, we'll get into uh, some more about that. But I love the Bible. I love the Bible. But honestly, and I've been studying the Bible for a long time. I've been reading the Bible since I was a little kid. I went to seminary. I've studied the Bible. I've studied the Bible. I've studied the Bible. It is beautiful. Amen? The Bible is beautiful. But the Bible can also be maddening. Sometimes we think if you go to seminary, it's like, great, you, you'll have all the answers when you come out. But honestly, the Bible's so complex. And when I say it's maddening, I sometimes go to God and say, really, God? Like, this is how you chose to reveal yourself to your people? Yes, this is how God chose to reveal himself to his people. And so it's really important to know how to read the Bible. You think, well, I know how to read. Isn't that enough? No, it's not. It's really important to know how to read the Bible. And one important thing about the whole Bible is that the whole thing leads to Jesus. It's a unified story, and it leads to Jesus. If you don't know that, the Old Testament can be really confusing. I meant to have my paper Bible here, and it's in my car. Bryce, can I borrow your paper Bible? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. All right. For, uh, back in the Stone Age, people used to have paper Bibles. And uh, a paper Bible divides up like this. This is the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. The New Testament is when Jesus came. We have biographies of his life, and we follow Jesus, and there's letters written to churches, Christian churches, that tell how to live and follow Jesus. The Old Testament is everything that led up to Jesus. There's no Jesus in the Old Testament. There's no church in the Old Testament. There's no Christians in the Old Testament, but the whole thing leads to Jesus, and it's all one unified story. Thank you, Bryce. I might steal this again later. <laughs> You are not to read all of the books of the Bible in the same way. So that Bible is one book, but it's actually not one book. It is 66 books. And one of, one of, the, one of our detriments is we, we bind it all into one book. But in the Old Testament and in the New, when you go to the synagogue and you'd hear the scriptures taught, it would be from a scroll. So they would take the scroll of Isaiah and they would grab that scroll, and they would, they would read from it, and, and they, would, they would teach from it. The Bible's more like a library than it is like a book. When you read it like a book, there can, there can be problems, and we're going to talk some, some about that. Uh, like if you were to read your favorite novel, maybe it's Lord of the Rings or Stephen King or whatever it might be, the, the novel, you're like, you start at page one, and you, you read until the end. And, and you read page 5 the same way you read page 105. That's not how the Bible works. It's more like entering a library. And in that library, there's two sections of the library. One of them is the Old Testament, and one of them is the New Testament. And within the library, there's shelves. And on each uh, one shelf is labeled different genres. So in the Old Testament, we have wisdom literature. I'm not going to get into all of that right now because we actually have a sermon to get to. 
But what I want you to understand is that you read wisdom literature different than you read history, and you read history different than you read poetry, and you're going to read the Gospels uh, about Jesus, the biographies of Jesus, different than you're going to read apocalyptic. And there's all these different ways, and you're like, man, this is so confusing. There's so much to remember. Um, there's really two things I want you to remember as we go through this series. One of them is there's a bunch of different genres in the Bible, and that affects how you read it. Number two is there's two covenants in the Bible. I'm not going to talk a lot about that now because we're going to do a whole sermon on that. But there was an agreement with the people of the Old Testament to the Jewish people, to the Israelites. That is different than the agreement that we have with Jesus. The new covenant of Jesus' blood, when we celebrate communion, and he holds up the glass of wine, he says, this is the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant. I have a new agreement with you. So those are things you have to understand. Because if we read the old covenant like it applies to us, we can get really sidetracked, okay? All right, now I'm getting us all sidetracked. Um, I made this amazing visual. It's, it's, not, it's not amazing. It's pretty ugly, except for Kyle's face. Kyle's face is amazing. Okay, you, you can tell the difference between a Christianity Today graphic and a Noah Philippiac graphic. Um, I, uh, I made this to, to try to show, uh, I made it in Microsoft Word, because I'm really, you know, high tech like that, um, a, a timeline of the Bible. We're going to come back to this a lot, but I'm, what I want to show you is, as it's important to understand the Bible, is that we are a part of a story. We're literally a part of the story. So this isn't like reading Lord of the Rings where you get to the end and you go, that was a nice story. We haven't gotten to the end of the story yet. So the Bible story continues. And here's what I mean. Here's the Old Testament. We get here to Jesus. This is the New Testament. We have the church and the book of Acts. We have all these letters. And then we have us today. We have Kyle eating ribs at one of them at a mosaic cookout. It's a that is us today. That's the epitome of Mosaic Church right there. <laughs> it's a great representation. That's our new church logo. We, we had a conference. Uh, we had our leadership meeting. We're getting rid of this, you know, the triangle. It's going to be that right there. <laughs> we are a part of this story. And there's more to come. Jesus is coming back, you guys. <laughs> there's more to come. And there's actually a new earth and there's a new heaven. Okay, so this is our story, and that affects how we read the Bible. But there's two big concepts that I want us to get as we go through this story. One of them is the covenant. I already talked about that. One of them is the Bible was written in the ancient Near East. So picture Israel today, picture Iraq, picture Saudi Arabia, picture Turkey. That is called Mesopotamia. That was ancient Mesopotamia, that's where the first books of the Bible were written. The first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, that's where they were written. They were written into the ancient Near East, and that really was the context for all of the Bible as it progressed from 200, uh, sorry, 2000 BC up through the first century. Now, this series that we're doing, or this, even this, this sermon today, um, the sermon I'm doing today is going to be on Genesis, 
1 particularly, and, but, but trying to cover kind of this first Genesis 1 through 3. And it's a, um, for some, you're going to fall asleep. You're, you're going to be bored and you're going to fall asleep. Some of you are going to get really excited about the nerdy parts of it. Some of you are going to get angry at me. You're going to be mad and you're, we're going to have to have coffee later. You're going to get, okay, so I'm just warning you now. This is a different sermon than any sermon we've done up to this point. This is not really an easy, there's a way to kind of, e- there's easy sermons, this isn't going to be one of them. So get ready. I hope that you're like, oh yeah, now I'm good, now I want to hear, now I want to hear what's next. Before I do, all this Bible stuff, I want to give you a quick resource. This is a nice new book that just came out, How Not to Read the Bible, Making Sense of the Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture. That's the subtitle. Uh, Dan Kimball is a pastor. He's, he's not a seminary professor, so it's written very approachably. Uh, I actually listened to it for free on Hoopla, okay? So that's, if, you, if you don't want to spend money on a book, Hoopla. It's a great app. You just need a library card. You can listen to it for free. It's very engaging. I just want to give you that uh, as one resource because I'm telling you, this is a lot of stuff. We can't get it all in in 30 minutes or whatever the amount of time that we have. This is a nice resource. And one more, uh, the Bible Project uh, podcast and the Bible Project website, the Bible Project app. Uh, I don't agree with everything on, the, on here, a Bible Project. I don't agree with everything in Dan Kimball's book. But these are really helpful resources to figure out how to read the Bible, particularly this sermon today. I'm going to be talking about the origins of the universe. I know everything about the origins of the universe. I know exactly how they originated. <laughs> That's sarcasm. Because you're like, you know, like, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast, you know, yesterday. You're like, you're right. Okay, um, there is an amazing, in my opinion, uh, series on this podcast. It's, it's May 2021. It's called their Cosmology Series. I know that seems like a really big, nerdy word. But if you've ever struggled with what the Bible says about the origins of the universe, what you've read in science class you know, at school about the debates of whether it's creation and evolution or just some of the stuff in Genesis, some of the stuff in the early chapters of the Bible. This podcast series, starting in May 2021, you just go to the podcast or their website and find it. Cosmology series, they have it labeled. Oh my goodness, so, so helpful. Way more than we could cover uh, in this sermon. But in general, their resources, they have videos. We're gonna show two minutes of one of their videos here briefly. Um, videos on everything in the Bible. Any book you read, they have a general video on how to read the Bible. Highly recommend that. Um, so we really, it's important to understand how to read the Bible. Recommend the Bible Project as a place to do that. Um, here's the first two verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, don't answer this, but if I were to ask, if I was to ask you, what is the sermon here? What's the sermon of these two verses? What's the message that God's trying to communicate? You may have never even thought about these verses as a sermon. That's a problem, first and and foremost. It's a problem if you've never thought about these verses as a sermon, as if God was just giving us some factoids with the first two verses of the Bible, this is a sermon, and this is what we're going to talk about today. As we do, and before we jump into this video, I want you to remember a phrase about the Bible, especially these early books of the Bible and the early chapters of Genesis. The Bible was written for us. Amen? The Bible was not written to 
us. Like literally, the Bible was written, like Paul wrote a letter to Corinth. Guess who that letter was to? Corinth, yes, yes, it wasn't written to me. It literally wasn't written to me. Genesis, not necessarily a letter, but it was written, it was a sermon, it was a message to ancient Israelites. When we say the word ancient, we got to be humble about that, okay? We got to be humble about that. We're going to talk about that. Just remember that, though. All right, I'm going to cue, the video is going to be next. It's going to be a two-minute video. The whole video is about seven minutes if you want to watch the whole thing later on Bible Project app or website. Uh, But two minutes only on these verses. We're going to jump in and to get you to start to see some of the landscape. And I want you to keep asking the question, what's the sermon here? What's the sermon here? What's the sermon here? Which means unordered and uninhabited. This is the ancient way. I don't know why it's starting in the middle. Alan's going to close out the program and then start back into it. So give us just a moment. Someday we'll get all this stuff figured out. (laughs) All right, I think we're we're about back. The first book in the Bible is called Genesis. And we're going to look closely at the first page of the book of Genesis. It's a carefully crafted narrative about God creating and ordering the whole cosmos. Okay, let's check it out. Now, the opening line of the whole Bible is, in the beginning, God created the skies and the land. Now, your Bible translation might say the heavens and the earth. In biblical Hebrew, the word for heaven refers simply to the sky above. And the word for earth does not mean globe, but rather the land. The ground below us. Right. This line is summarizing what's going to happen in the following narrative, which starts in the next line. And it reads, now the land was wild and waste. This phrase rhymes in Hebrew. The land was tohu vavohu, which means unordered and uninhabited. This is the ancient way of talking about the pre-creation state, what we might call nothingness. For the biblical authors, non-existence means having no purpose and no order. And the next line uses another image to say the same thing. And darkness was on the face of the deep abyss. What's the deep abyss? Yeah, it's a dark, chaotic ocean. It's another common way the ancients described the non-reality that preceded creation. Now, here's where things start to get interesting, because in the midst of those dark waters, God is present. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for God's spirit is ruach, which can refer to wind or breath or God's invisible presence. So you can't see it, but God is present in the darkness, ready to bring order so that life can flourish. The first book in the Bible is right. called Genesis. And we're- Very good. All right. So, man, I'm a, I get excited about this. Like, I'm pumped up for this sermon. And I'm like, there's no way we're going to have time. <laughs> I'm looking at the clock to get all this in. So the last line that they read that they said was God's ready to bring order so that life can flourish. Now, if you look here, uh, if this is just, you know, back to verses one and two, it says darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now, in the ancient mind, the ancient mind, the people that Genesis was first written to, and we're going to talk about this more in a little bit, they believed that prior to existence, like in un, an unexisting state, was a dark, chaotic ocean. So when, when we see, when, when the scripture says, Darkness was over the surface of the deep. 
This is actually consistent with other writings, ancient writings we have of this time, of an understanding that things was, it was chaos. Things were unordered. They were uninhabited. They were unordered. And what that meant in the literal Hebrew was nothingness, which meant no purpose and no order. Now, when I say no purpose, do you start to relate? Do you start to feel the sermon a little bit? When I say meaningless, do you start to relate? Do you start to feel the sermon a little bit? Chaotic, do you start to relate? If we were to go through the story cards and pull them back out and say, when is your life chaotic? Pick a card. You can start to connect with some of these main principles that the Hebrew is representing about the earth before creation. Now, this is the sermon. Not this sermon, not Noah's sermon. This is the sermon of Genesis. The sermon of Genesis, we're beginning the sermon of Genesis, is that prior to God, things were meaningless. Prior to God, things didn't have purpose, didn't have order. Now, this is a picture of Fort Myers, Florida. Right now. Joel from our leadership team is in Fort Myers, Florida. Right now. Joel and Crystal own a condo in Fort Myers, Florida that they rent out and they go down to for vacations. Uh, the whole first floor flooded and the, the whole has to all be gutted. Everything inside looks like this. I can't even tell what's going on in this picture. It looks like some modular homes got moved and squished all together and everything around it just got obliterated. Now, when you look at this picture, this is an unordered chaos, isn't it? So if I were to ask you this question, what areas of your life feel like this? Could you answer that? If I were to ask you, what areas of the world and our culture feel like this? Could you answer that? That's the sermon. If I were to ask you, what areas of your life feel like this? Could you answer that? Because the purpose of a wooden board that used to make up this house or this business is not to be on a pile on the ground with a bunch of other wooden boards. The purpose of a, of a water heater is not to be on its side with boards all around it. Are you starting to feel the sermon of Genesis and of the Bible, the sermon of the Bible? So we're going to take five minutes, and we're going to put you back in your sections. And the first question is this. If your people, however you want to define that, if your people, your lineage, the people you came from, and you included, were, had been slaves in a foreign land for 400 years, so that's the Israelites in Egypt, okay? The Exodus. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. If you had been slaves in a foreign land for 400 years, you just got freed. Can you even try to imagine that? You just got freed. Parting of the Red Sea. There you are. Slavery's behind you. Freedom is in front of you. What questions would you be asking? So I want you to talk about that in your group. What questions would you be asking? Number two what parts of life today feel chaotic? Or what parts of life today feel without meaning and purpose? And both of those are going to lead us into the rest of this morning's message. So take five minutes and then we'll...
All right, all right. Come on back around. I know that wasn't enough time. I pr promise if you come on Thursdays, we'll give you an hour and a half to talk about the same type of questions. On Thursday night at small group, we'll be, doing the, we'll be going over this same material this Thursday. So come on back around. All right, back to our timeline. I want, I want you to understand, sorry for people over there, hopefully you can see me. Um, okay, when, the, when, when Genesis was written, first of all, let me say this. Genesis wasn't written by Adam and Eve. Like, they didn't chronicle their life and then pass it on to Cain and Abel and say, yo, like, this is going to be a sweet YouTube channel someday, so we need to keep a record of it now so that, so that you know, you pass it on to Noah and then he'll pass it on to Abraham. That's not how Genesis was written. Genesis, conservative scholars believe, was written by Moses. Uh, where are we on our timeline? This is such a good timeline. It's so easy to follow. <laughs> it's so clear. All right, Genesis 1, Genesis 3, we have... This is the book of Genesis, and then here's the white line. People were slaves in Egypt, Moses through the Exodus. Okay, so in around 1450 B.C. is when we have the book of Exodus, and we have Moses, and Scripture alludes to Moses writing the law, the book of Exodus, Moses having one-on-one -on -one conversations with God, and the Jewish people and conservative, I would say, historically, the Jewish people would point to Moses as the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But we know that only Moses didn't write it. That's right in the Bible. Because if you read Exodus, it talks about how Moses died. It talks about what happened after Moses' life. Moses didn't write that part, guys. <laughs> there, were, there were other scribes. Uh, I, I can't remember the other. They were, there were scribes and, and people that were, the word would be co collecting, curating this material and putting it together putting it together into what we now have in our, in our Bible. And that's totally okay. The Bible talks about that. If you go into the book of Psalms, it says, this ends the Psalms of David. And then 20-some Psalms later, you have a Psalm of David. Like, it's okay. You had, you had other scribes, you had other people that were curating this material over the course of time, okay? So that's just, there's so much, there's so much here. There's so much here. But what I want you to understand, that question I asked you about, if you'd been a slave for 400 years in Egypt, here's, our, here's the people of Israel. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They were released from slavery, and then the message of Genesis was given to them. I like thinking of it as a message more than a book. It would have been a message to them. It wasn't... They wouldn't have looked at it and held it in their hand like a Bible from Zondervan, okay? It was a message. It was a message from God. Now, and it's, it's a sermon to them, and it's a sermon for us. So put yourself back in those shoes. Go back to your group in, in your mind. How did you answer that first question? What questions would you be asking if you were a slave for 400 years in a foreign land? 400 years. How many generations back is that? And now you're free. Is anyone asking questions at that point about, huh, I wonder if we evolved from apes? Did anyone say that in your group time? Did anyone go, I wonder how old this dinosaur bone is? 
You were just freed from slavery of 400 years. <laughs> You're asking about dinosaurs? Really? I wonder if the quantum theory of physics is true that the universe is really made of subatomic particles. We should debate that. Look, this is what Genesis says about that. I wonder how old the earth is. Look, I'm not saying those are bad questions to ask. Those are not the questions that the people that the book of Genesis was written to were asking. There's no way. There's no way that's what they were asking. The tragedy is we've missed the message often of Genesis in the church because we've read it like it was written to us. It wasn't written to us. And we ask questions upon it that God never designed for it to answer. I, I want you to, to, for some that's hard to swallow, to think about, to meditate on that. I had a friend in Lansing, and he heard me preach a sermon like this, and that was the day he gave his life to Jesus. He was a lawyer, he was in his 40s, very successful in life, and he could never put his faith in Jesus because faith in Jesus was always attached to, um, I don't know the right words to say here. I will say, if we read the Genesis 1, really through 11, like it was written to us, and it, as if it were written to answer those scientific questions, and I'm just saying it wasn't. I'm not alone in that. The Bible Project, how to, how to not read the Bible. The book of Genesis wasn't written to answer our scientific questions. And he was always taught that it was, and he just couldn't get his head around having to add those things to Jesus. I'm not saying you're wrong if you, add those th if, if you believe in those things. But you see how important this is? That is what kept him from putting his faith in Jesus to forgive him of his sins, to be his Lord and his Savior. And I take seriously what Paul says in the book of Galatians, don't add anything to the gospel. Don't add anything to the gospel. So I'm trying to not step on toes, but I'm, I'm trying, trying to just kind of like touch your toes. I'm just touching your toes with socks on. I'm not wearing combat boots, just socks. Bill is a follower of Jesus. He's the one I baptized in the tub before we knew we should put heaters in it. That was Bill. He'll never forget that baptism. It was much colder than yours, Avaya. <laughs> uh, we can't add stuff to Jesus. And in, the, in the Genesis, in the Bible Project, this is a quote from them, it's not security camera footage. It's not security camera footage. It's not God didn't put up a webcam in the Garden of Eden and click record, and that's Genesis. This is not what it is. And it's not unbiblical to say that. In fact, when you read the Bible, honestly, the Bible will tell you that. The Bible will tell you that. I want to give you some stuff to chew on and read it in your own time. There's three different creation accounts in the Bible. And they're different. And they say different things about creation. They say different things about the order of creation. It's in your Bible. It's in my Bible. This is okay. Genesis 1, ending in chapter 2, verse 4, 5, is one creation account. Genesis 2, starting in verse 5, is another creation account. And Psalm 104 is a third creation account. 
Just chew on it. We don't have enough time. I wish we did. Three different creation accounts. I'm not even going to go there. Do you want to talk about more later? Let me. I'm just going to totally run out of time and miss the really good stuff. Okay. This is a picture of a tablet that archaeologists discovered, and it's a, it's, it's a piece of what's called the Enuma Elish. The Enuma Elish. And this was a creation story of the ancient Babylonians. So what we have in our Bible is the creation story of the ancient Israelites. God's chosen people. God revealed the truth about creation that he wanted the ancient Israelites to know. But within their cultural environment, like our cultural, we have a cultural environment today. And it exists of like quotes from The Office and Star Trek and the Ukraine war and racism. And, we, you know, we, we have a cultural environment. They had a cultural environment. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. So you're not Egyptian, but you've been in Egypt for 400 years as a slave? Guess what was part of your cultural environment? Egyptian gods, the Egyptian pantheon, the Egyptian creation story. And back then, it wasn't like you had a map, and here's Canada, and here's the United States, and here's Mexico. I mean, these borders were changing. People are fighting. Kingdoms are coming, and kingdoms are going. And so you had the Babylonian gods and origin stories. You had the Canaanite gods and origin stories, depending on if you're talking about during the time of David or the time of Moses. There was a cultural environment that they were in. And just like we do today, they, they pick up on these messages, and it's formed the way that they viewed the world. So, one part of the Enuma Elish, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, because um, I want to say this because it can throw you off. When you, you're, 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 you're taught your whole life in church, here's how the world was created, God said so, and then you get to college or grad school, or you just get curious, and you find out the Babylonians have a creation story called the Enuma Elish, and it actually predates the Genesis one. It came before it. And then there's things that are, that are similar in them. People lose their whole faith over this stuff. Their whole faith over this stuff. So it's really important that we talk about it. But there's a sermon here. This isn't just seminary class this morning, though that is fun. Uh, in the Enuma Elish, in the, in the Egyptian creation story, in, the, in these creation stories, there often was a, a chaotic ocean, and it was the formless, pre-created state. And there was often a chaos monster the chaos monster was often a dragon or a serpent or a serpent-like dragon, okay? Now, this is not scandalous. This was the world of the ancient Israelites. If I was going to communicate to Mike, how would I communicate? What language would I use? Let's go with... Uh, I'm trying to think of some obscure language. Let's just stick with, a, with one that, that I don't know. But How about French? Do you speak French? Okay, good. So we're off to go, sir. I'm going to speak in French to you, and I'm going to communicate some really important things to you. That would, that would be really dumb, right? That would be really dumb. Now, downstairs in our kids' ministry right now, they're communicating to our kids. Now, my wife is an elementary music teacher, and um, she's not in here right now. She's in the kids' room, so I can say this. I'm a little embarrassed to be around her sometimes when she's in elementary music teacher mode. 
because she's communicating to second graders. And she's kind of like, if you took Barney the dinosaur, like minus the suit, she's like, hey, kids, like, let's sing, let's dance, let's do music. And I'm like, that's my, that's my honey right there. Like, she's my better half. But she doesn't communicate to me that way because I'm not a second grader, right? But if she were to communicate to her second graders the same way she communicates to me, they'd fall asleep, okay? So we all do this already. If God were to communicate in a way that he wanted ancient Israelites to understand him, how would he do it? Would he use references from Lord of the Rings and Star Trek? No. He would talk about the things that they already understood. God incarnates. Incarnates, is a, we usually mean our incarnation for Jesus. It means, it means he came from heaven to earth. Well, God incarnated the Bible. He incarnated the Bible to ancient Israelites who are just freed from slavery, trying to figure this out, trying to answer the questions that they had about the universe. Most importantly, who is God? Who am I? What is my purpose? Can you relate to those three questions? Who is God? Who am I? What is my purpose? How about we add in, how do I attain eternal life? That's important. That's the message of Genesis. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message of Genesis. We sidestep the whole debate that is raged on in the church and society about, about Genesis. Not because it's convenient, it's because that's not what Genesis is actually about. I don't want us to miss the sermon here. God desperately wanted to communicate with ancient Israelites and he desperately wants to communicate with me and with you. I was gonna tell you about Enuma Elish. I'm not gonna be able to, we just don't have time. But these are some tablets from, uh, Bab from ancient Babylon. This dragon figure here is Tiamat, same one there. Tiamat would be the goddess of the ocean, goddess of the sea, the salt water, the chaos monster. Their hero was Marduk. Marduk had to fight and battle Tiamat, the chaos ocean monster. Marduk's the hero god. Marduk shot an puffed up Tiamat with wind, shot an arrow at her, split her into two, and that's how the heavens and the earth were made. And he kind of chopped her up and made mountains over here and made earth over here and these sorts of things. But what you see here is that their God had to fight really hard to defeat chaos. In the end, it was close. They, he won in overtime. <laughs> Read the book of Genesis, and what does it say? God spoke, and boom, there was light. God spoke and boom, there was animals, there was sky. God ordered creation. There was no fight. There was no fight. Now, if you remember back to the, uh, the video we watched from the Bible Project, tovu vavohu, that was Hebrew for wild and waste, formless and empty. That was the Hebrew writer writing the first ever rap, okay? Tovu vavohu rhymes in Hebrew, he was literally writing poetry into the first two verses of the Bible. The lettering in Hebrew for tovu vavohu is similar to the lettering for Tiamat's name. The ancient languages were all connected in Canaan. So he was like winking at the Babylonians. Hey, hey, your chaos monster had to be slain had to be battled, had to be fought against. Yahweh God, 
That's God's revealed name in the Old Testament. Yahweh God didn't need an epic battle. There was no overtime. He spoke a word, and it was end of the game. And you're battling chaos today, and you're battling meaningless today. God, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I won't fail you like we sang. Come to me, and I am here for you. And we win. We've already won the battle. In Genesis 1, the battle was already over. And in Revelation, the battle's over. And on the cross, the battle's over. And in the empty tomb, the battle is already over. Jeremiah 50, 1 through 20. This is all throughout the Bible. When you understand these things, you go, this has been in my Bible the whole time. This is in Jeremiah. This would be in the middle of our timeline. He's prophesying about the coming exile. What is the sermon here? Or I should say in Jeremiah, I would have, all, I think, already been exiled. And in between, there's, there's two different exiles. We'll get to that later. But anyway, let's read this. This is the word of the Lord spoke through Jeremiah the prophet concerning Babylon and the land of the Babylonians. Babylon is who took the Israelites into exile. The book of Daniel set in Babylon. Babylon was the winners. They were evil, and they kicked Israel's butt. Announce and proclaim among the nations. Lift up a banner and proclaim it. Keep nothing back, but say, Babylon will be captured. Bel will be put to shame. Marduk filled with terror. Her images will be put to shame, and her idols filled with terror. Remember Marduk? Marduk is the hero god that shot the arrow at Tiamat to blow her up. Marduk is their creator god. Bel is another name for Marduk. Bel in Babylon, you guys have heard of, maybe, if, you're, if you have a church background or Bible, you've read the Bible before, you've heard of Baal or Baal. He's the primary bad guy with Elijah in, in, in the people of Israel. He was the Canaanite God. They have a whole other creation story of read the Baal cycle and you'll read all about where Baal comes from. The word Baal meant Lord. The word Bel means Lord. Baal, Baal, Bel. You can, you can feel the language there. It means Lord. Do you remember our sermon from two weeks ago? We did baptisms. And what did I say? Who is your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Is Bel your Lord? Is Marduk your Lord? Is Baal your Lord? Which of those gods brings order? It's not Marduk. It's not Bel. They're getting slain by Yahweh God here. This is the world that the Israelites lived in. We act as if their temptation to worship idols was to worship a stone. I always felt that way in Sunday school as a kid growing up. Like, they worshiped idols. Like, you'd want to worship this water bottle. Like, oh, I really want to worship God, but that water bottle looks really good to worship, so I'm going to worship it instead. That's not what idolatry meant back then. These were whole civilizations that believed that, that this God and these, these pagan practices and this pagan way of living and all this... This evil lifestyle is how they thought order was brought to their chaos. It's not that different today. It's not that different today. We're calling people out from worshiping idols to make Jesus their Lord as the one who brings order to our chaos. Now, this is a clip uh, later from that Bible Project video. God called creation good. So there was, there was uh, six days of creating and then a seventh day of rest. He calls it good. Six times and one time, very good. So on our timeline here, this is creation. Things are really good at this point. But then, number two, we have sin. Genesis 3 comes, we have a fall. 
called the fall. Maybe you would call it the rebellion. And here's what happens in Genesis 3. Things were good. God created things good. And, and you, you, you can read about in your Bible, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they eat this fruit that God said not to eat of. And we'll talk about this more Thursday night. Uh, uh, promo for Thursday night small groups. Come on out. We'll talk more. We'll, we'll get into the text more. Uh, but verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves. Verse 10, uh, he answered, I heard you in the garden. This is Adam answering God. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So they sinned. They rebelled against God, and now they're afraid. Now God comes. It's not a good thing. They're going, whoa, here comes dad. Ooh, hide, <laughs> hide. Things aren't good. Things are broken. We're staying in Genesis 3 here. Verse 19, there's a curse that says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Up to this point, there was no human death. God created a world with no human death. Death isn't supposed to be here. That's why it's so foreign. Now death is here because we rebelled. We removed ourselves from the life source that is God wasn't meant to be this way. Now, the whole Bible is a story leading to Jesus. So how does Genesis 3, in the fall, perfectly good creation, the fall, meaning, order, purpose, lead us to Jesus? This is in Genesis 3 again, a few verses prior, verse 15. He's talking to the serpent. He's talking to the serpent. And he says, I will put enmity, that's strife, between you and the woman, Eve, and all women, And between, check this out, your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, you will strike his heel. Genesis 3.15 is talking about Jesus. The offspring of Eve, they wouldn't have known this when when this was written. (laughs) The offspring of Eve is Jesus. Genesis 3.15 The first three chapters of the Bible tell us there's strife now between humans and who later we understand to be Satan and Satan's offspring or the serpent's offspring, however however that plays itself out, and Eve's offspring. And Eve's offspring is going to crush the serpent. Eve's offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent. That's what it says. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. Now look at Romans 16, 20. If I still had Bryce's Bible up here, I'd point. That's on the other side. <laughs> that's after Jesus. This is what we believe as Christians. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. There's an ultimate end to the existence of Satan, or of his rule, of his reign, of his power. Jesus had died on the cross, he'd risen from the dead, and there's this ultimate crushing that is soon going to happen. Romans 16, 20 is essentially quoting Genesis 3, 15. Now, do you, do you remember the chaos monster? Do you remember Tiamat? Do you remember the serpent? This was their world. This is how they understood reality. Let's look at Isaiah 21. Seven Again, in the middle there, during that period of prophecy about the exiles and, and, and dealing with the exile, dealing with losing the land. It says, in this day, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great, and powerful sword. Leviathan, the gliding serpent. Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. 
You think he's talking about going out and killing crocodiles here? No. <laughs> he's, he's talking about killing Satan here. He's talking about Tiamat. He's talking about the serpent. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the chaos monster. So in Isaiah, he's warning there's an exile coming. But I'm prophesying to tell you that there will be a deliverance. Guess who that deliverance is? Jesus. The deliverance is Jesus. Now, we're landing the plane. We know here, Genesis 3.15, he's talking about Jesus. The serpent was the chaos monster. Do we have chaos monsters today? Satan's name in Hebrew in the Old Testament wasn't capital S, Satan. Like, what's your name? Uh, I'm going to call you Satan. Uh, Satan was just a word. It was the Satan, and it meant the deceiver, the accuser. That's who Satan is in the Old Testament. He's the accuser. And as we see in the New Testament, it starts to be used as a proper name for him. Who will your Lord be? Baal? Satan? Jesus? In the New Testament, Jesus is talking to Pharisees. These are Hebrew scribes, religious leaders, and they call Satan Beelzebul. Or you may have seen it as Beelzebub in, your, in, in some of your translations. Who's ever heard that name before about Satan? There's a movie called Beelzebub, I think. I just saw it on Google. I think it's supposed to be like a spooky, you know, whatever movie. Beelzebub. <laughs> okay? This is so great. I love this. This is so great. I can't wait to show you this. Okay. But when the Pharisees heard this, they're talking to Jesus, that it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow, Jesus, drives out demons. So they're accusing Jesus. He's driving out demons. And they're like, yeah, you can drive out demons because you are one. This is all a big trick. This is all a big trick. Okay, the word Beelzebub or Beelzebub, it's actually the Hebrew Baal Zebub. But remember who Baal is? Baal. He's the, guy, he's the, the god in Elijah. He's the Canaanite god. He's the, kind of their main favorite god of Babylon. It was a mockery of the Baal religion. So they took Baal's name and they said, he's, remember it meant Lord? Baal Zebub means Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies was a euphemism for Lord of Dung. A pile of excrement. They made fun of Baal. You ready for the modern translation? Ali, you ready for the modern translation? This is the modern translation of this text. Okay, this is what the, the Hebrew people called Satan. That's Beelzebub, pile of, you, you, you talk about that amongst your group, what you, what you want to fill the blank in as. <laughs> but it was a pile of that. Can you see how the whole Bible's unified? Can you see how the message from the beginning is the same message in the middle and it's the same message at the end. Who will your Lord be? Is it going to be Baal? Is it going to be the pile of excrement? Or is it going to be Jesus? Who is going to bring order and meaning to your chaos? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. We're going to go into a time of communion next. 
I know this is a lot. I know this is a lot. Honestly, I would be happy to talk more and get coffee with you. I won't assume you're angry. I would just love to talk more. I was a joke earlier. Um, there's a lot here. Um, but here, let, me go, let me go back. Uh, can you go back to that last slide for a second for me, Alan? Um, what I want you to remember is when you, when you open up the Bible from the very beginning pages, God's trying to communicate in a way that the ancient people would have understood that he is Lord. He brings order to chaos. And while, yes, they were different, they understood reality different and, and existence different and science different and all these sorts of things uh, than we do today, and, and so much of that is in, in, in a thousand years, they're going to laugh at our science today, okay? They're going to look back and say, oh, they believe, you know, subatomic particles? <laughs> you know, I mean, I think this is, that's just how science is, okay? But the, the reality, the, the similarity we have is that we're humans and we need a savior, we're humans, and we need God to order our chaos. And I know in this room we have burdens that we are carrying, and we need to lay them at the feet of Jesus. And I could have just preached on Jesus today, and we could do that every Sunday, but I want you to understand how to read the Bible. And we're going to start doing that in this series and show how the whole Bible leads to Jesus. And Jesus is here today, and he wants you to lay your burdens at his feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. <laughs> The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So triumphant.